There's never a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports. Whether it's on the gridiron. For the end zone, it's Jefferson who's got the touchdown. On the court. Edwards thinking three and popping a three. On the ice. It's Caprice over the open net. Or on the diamond. Buxton hammers that to left field. Another Minnesota home run. Whether it's positive. I think this is a good enough roster to make the playoffs. Or negative. He's terrible. Awful. Don't get it. Don't understand it. Whether there's optimism. Hey, they might be able to even make it to a conference final. Or pessimism. Don't expect me to be super excited. I mean, I don't know. Does this really do much for anybody? There's always something to chat about. Shout out to Minnesota Sports Chat. Keep on being elite. If you're looking for fun, informative, discussion on all things Minnesota sports, you've come to the right place. This is Minnesota Sports Chat, and now, here's your host, Ross Brendel. Well, I'm glad Mr. Manny Hill did not put Kevin Fiala in that new open. Thanks to Manny for that new open. More on Kevin Fiala in just moments. Welcome inside to edition Number 117 of the soon-to-be award-winning Minnesota Sports Chat. Yes, award-winning, if only in my own mind. Emmy award-winning broadcaster, and don't you forget it, multiple times, Tim McNiff just around the corner. But first, a few thank yous. Yes, thanks again to Manny Hill for that brand-new open. Manny Hill, of course, a guest of this pod often a dear friend of mine and a co-worker here at both Hubbard Broadcasting and our time together at Mighty Jazz 88. Make sure you're checking them out at jazz88.fm. And thanks to Tim in Brooklyn Park, who reached out via minnesotasportschat at gmail.com. I ran into Tim, met him for the first time at the Purple Daily Draft Party at Surly. He's now become a regular potter of Minnesota Sports Chat. So thank you very much, Tim. From Tim in Brooklyn Park, we go to Tim somewhere in the state of Minnesota. Mr. Tim McNiff, how the heck are you as we record this on this Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon? Wednesday. It's Wednesday. How are you? It is Wednesday, yes. Anytime I get a chance to to share a microphone with you, Ross Brendel, how much better can I be? You are way too good to me. You are currently from an undisclosed location. I think you're Presidential cavalcade is right around the right around the area. Secret Service people protecting your whereabouts, but it is great to see you, uh, Tim. We knew this day would that. we knew this day would come, Tim. There was going to be an odd man mm-hmm. out. It was either going to be Matt Dumba or was going to be Kevin Fiala. Turns out that it is Kevin Fiala. He has been traded to the L.A. Kings. For the 19th overall pick in this upcoming NHL draft, which I believe starts on July 7th. Also in return, the Minnesota Wild receive a gentleman many in this great state know a lot about. Brock Faber, the captain for the University of Minnesota. He was a 2020 draft pick in the second round. This trade is very fresh. We're recording this podcast within literal minutes of this trade coming down Tim, your thoughts so far, your thoughts out of the gate. This was, to me, the worst-case scenario. I think with everybody, everyone knew that this was probably not only possible, but probably the likely ending. Um, my hope was always that it would be Dumba, and and instead we would be able to find a way to keep Kevin Fiala 
I just think that there is a, I want to use the word paucity. I'm not even sure if that's the correct term. I, I just don't think there are that many goal scorers at that level in the game that you can afford to give one up or let one get away. And um, Kevin Fiala has performed, he, he didn't in the playoffs, but but down the stretch the last uh, two seasons, he's just been dynamite. And um, does he have a tendency to take some stupid penalties? Does he have a tendency to sometimes lag on the defensive end? Yes, but uh, he he's more good than bad. Ultimately, Ross, I, I think, as we're talking about this particular transaction, we have to trust Bill Guerin. We have to trust that he got the best deal that he could, considering the fact that everybody in this league knew he was not going to be able to afford to keep Kevin Fiala. So he didn't deal from a position of power. He got a number one draft pick back. He got a player in favor that, barring injury, everyone would expect is going to be a uh, NHL defenseman for some time and, and, and a first two pair. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's as good as could be, but I think that this is, did we, are, are we better as a team right now today? We are not. Tim, I think we hit the audio gremlins in the wrong spot because before this pod, you said, can you hear me? All right. How does it sound? I said, it sounded great. And now we have like glitches and bumps. So I'm going to have you like maneuver the phone a little bit different so I can maybe maybe hear you a little bit better. We'll see if that if that happens to fix it. But uh, so you hit on something where I was going to start. I think any time you're moving a player that I think has value within the league and people know it and you're being forced to move that player and you can still come up with a first round pick whether that's the first pick or the 30th pick or the 15th pick, I think that's a pretty good deal. And here the Minnesota Wild now have four picks in the top 56, 19, 24, 47, and 56. Hat tip to Michael Russo. I took that from him off of his Twitter machine. You know, this is a team, Tim, they're they're kind of in salary cap hell. I mean, that's why we're at where we're at today with Kevin Fiala being traded. So, I mean, when you look at it in that prism of having that many picks and then you hope a year or two, more than, more than likely you're talking two, three, or four years down the road, those players are helping your team, but they're helping your team at a very friendly dollar amount. That's kind of what you're hoping to get out of a deal like this. Now you have to trust your scouts that you got a player in return in Brock Faber that you can use sooner rather than later. And you're trusting your scouts and your own general managing instincts to identify players that you can draft with those picks that'll come in and help you. And I guess there is the potential there. If you've got 19 and 24, do you parlay that into 11 or 12? You know, do you move up and, and, and you know, get uh, more, maybe, maybe more of an impact player back? I don't know. I, there's talk that this, uh, the 2022 class, not as strong as 2023. I've seen the opinion that we should have uh, pushed more for a number one next year that that would have been potentially more valuable. I don't know if that was ever, you know, an option. I think in this case, we really need to look at the general manager and think that he really has done a pretty nice job in a very short period of time to make us as a, a, I guess they've, they've, they've come a long way in a short period of time under Bill Garrett, in my opinion, I thought it was going to be a lot more painful than it has been the whole transition. I think the goaltender they took last year, 
uh, being in Iowa this next year. I'm really intrigued. I've never had an inclination to watch the Iowa Wild, and now I do because uh, I want to see how long it's going to take before he becomes the goaltender of the, you know, the, of today, not the future. And, um, you know, if, if we can add a few more pieces, and we've got a few that we thought maybe Rossi would come up this past year, and he never did, can he step up and take over? But it's, you know, the, the numbers that Fiala put up this last year, you know, if, if Kirill wouldn't have been Kirill, we're talking about Kevin Fiala as one of the, you know, the greatest, if not the greatest goal scorer all time for the Minnesota Wild. So it's just difficult to let a player of that caliber go. And I think a good guy and a good locker room guy too. And and he's got, you know, just hitting the peak of his career. So there's no way to get around the fact that I think that this one hurts. I'm going to do this. I'm going to boot you from the stream really quickly and have you come back in. But I do want to talk about Marco Rossi. This is a player they thought they were going to get a lot out of last year, and they didn't have. So when you look at a team that is cash-strapped financially, I don't want to do the old, well, you know, you get a player back from the injured list. That's like making a trade. I don't want to say getting a guy back from being not healthy is like signing a free agent. But in this particular case, it kind of is because he fills a position of need. But now you need to be able to see if he can actually do it. We have no track record of Marco Rossi at the NHL level. I thought near the end of the last season, we would see him. He would be called up to kind of do an audition before the playoffs. That never happened, never called up for the playoffs. And he seemed to be healthy. So I, I didn't see a lot of uh, the, the, you know, the people who cover the team on a regular basis, no opinions on, as to why that did or didn't happen. And uh, so I'm not quite sure what the thinking was there if he just didn't uh, perform up to that level. Um, but I, yes, we went into last season expecting that Rossi would have a good chance to make the team and would probably be up, be up at some point. And for whatever reason, that never happened. We covered the big breaking news of Kevin Fiala, players coming, players going. Same thing happened to the Minnesota Timberwolves last week. Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, you know, Tim, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, all drafts, time will tell. I always take a wait and see approach. But the Minnesota Timberwolves, they pick up Walker Kessler. His family actually has ties to Redwood Falls, Minnesota. We love that. We always do here in Minnesota. Wendell Moore Jr., he played with half of the state of Minnesota at Duke. So there is the uh, Minnesota tie-in with him. And I have no Minnesota tie-in for our guy, Josh Minot, who's from the University of Memphis, drafted in the second round, or Matteo Spagnolo from Italy. But we got the Minnesota connections out of the way with the first two. I feel like the Wolves got some pretty good players, time will tell, but I did like the process of, you know, when you get to where the Wolves are at in that point of the draft, I think you just take best player available. I I agree. I I can't agree more. And I think that it's sort of like best player available, but at the same time, what does your team need? What is the real need on this team? And you could say, well, we need a point guard. We could probably use some more outside scoring. But first and foremost, if you're going to take your biggest player and you're going to play them out on the perimeter and count on everyone else to do the defensive rebounding, that's an issue. And I think when the Wolves took Cat uh, and they put him out in the perimeter early in the season, there was some novelty to it, and it really did mess up some other teams. But then as the season went on, obviously, they were just exposed at the basket. And so they went in and everyone's saying they needed a rim protector. I guess bringing the Naismith defensive player of the year would be that guy at seven foot one. So I think the beauty of this whole thing, as far as I'm concerned, is if you're not counting on Walker Kessler for scoring, 
he can play. I mean, if you, you're going to give him, you know, 11 to 15 minutes a game and he's going to be able to let Cat either play out or he's going to be, you know, used when Cat's out needs needs a rest and he, you're not counting on him for scoring, I, I think right away he stands a good chance of coming in and making this team a better team just in the sense of we now have a seven-footer who plays defense. Well, and that's it, right, Tim? It To me, the Walker-Kessler draft pick is very similar to drafting a quarterback in the NFL draft in the first round. It's changed in recent years, but oftentimes you want to work them in a bit. Maybe they sit the first four to six weeks or the entire season, but you treat them a bit with kid gloves. You don't overwhelm them early. Well, here in this case, you're just literally going to tell the kid, go do what we know you can do, protect the rim, get some rebounds, As we go along here, we'll worry about putting some meat on those bones and refining your offensive game, but we just need you to do what we know you can do. And to me, anytime you can get a player like that later in the first round, that's a big win if he can come in and do what we're hoping he can come in and do. Yeah, because they were talking about them making some trades. And even the players that they were talking about, whether it's a Gobert or some of the other, you're like, well, how is that going to work? How is that going to work financially? How do they afford that? You know, and and so now you got a guy who's on a rookie contract who is, you know, seven footer, moves well. And and so I think it's, you know, in the old NBA days, if you're going to say, well, how's he going to post up with uh, Shaq or with Kareem or something like that? That's a problem. But in today's NBA, I'm not sure that it is. You know, you can really move people around and he can be responsible for an area and defensive rebounding and occasionally just getting a hand up to alter somebody's shot and not give them, you know, the the, the large amount of uh, disparity we gave up in terms of offensive rebounds. So I think that those are all sort of things that don't require as much skill as they do just tenacity. So if Walker Kessler can bring that, and if you're the defensive player of the year, it tells me that you're okay with doing that kind of work. So again, I'm not trying to just be too, you know, rose colored glasses about this whole thing, but I think for drafting where they did and what they needed and the desire to move cat to more of a four than, than uh, the center position, which is probably where he belongs. They seem to have, uh, you know, checked all those boxes. Speaking of making trades, would you trade D'Angelo Russell? Are you that bitter at him about how he disappeared oftentimes against the Memphis Grizzlies in that first round playoff series. Would you move him? I, I would. I, I, I've seen enough, not just in that playoff series, but enough since he's been here from day one. He's not on the court enough. When he is out on the court, I think he's out there more for himself than the team. I think you even saw that in a few of those playoff games when he was Probably not the focal point of the offense, but just decided to be the focal point of the offense. If you're not going to make Cat super angry because that's his buddy, that's his that's his pal, I would move him if I thought I was getting a decent return on the investment. The caution there is, as it currently sits, he's on the last year of his deal, so I don't even know if that return on the investment is capable of being all that good, but... You can also sell me just all that money coming off the books is not a bad thing either. Well, him being in the last year of his contract, teams might find that more attractive that they have an expiring contract. Bring him in, give him a year. If he does something great, that's a win. If he doesn't, the money comes off the books next year. So I would say, am I just all for trading him? 
I think in a perfect world, everybody would trade him. But again, this is sort of like the Kevin Fiala situation. Everybody knows the Timberwolves in a perfect world would like to trade him. So the, the offers back are probably not going to be great. He's not a uh, malcontent. He's not a guy who who grouses or seems to throw fits when he isn't the, the focal point of the offense. And I guess I would go back while he was uh, close to horrific in that series against Memphis. He was the best player on the floor in the one game against the L.A. Clippers that got us into that series. We don't win that game without him. Um, you know, he disappears for periods of time. And I guess there are questions from the staff. He seems to take time off when he might be healthy enough to play. Um, so, yeah, I don't. he's never been with any team as long as he's been with the Timberwolves. And I think we're finding out that's kind of his own doing. Um, this is hard. I, I think that uh, in a perfect world, would I like to trade him? Yes. Am I okay with them hanging on to him if they can't get something respectable in return? I'm okay with that too. Give it one more year. I, I don't see this team winning the championship this year anyway. Let him play on the expiring contract and and uh, maybe, you know, somewhere under the trade deadline, some team rents him from you and you get some capital back in return. But just to trade him to trade him and take a bad return on it, um, I'm not I'm not about that. I had to laugh because you said, well, yeah, I think everybody everybody would trade him if they could. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, basically half the NBA already has traded him. When you think of <laughs> the the Lakers and the Nets and Golden State and maybe perhaps soon to be the Timberwolves, we'll see what comes of that. Drafts always excite me. I it's I think we'd all be ludicrous if we sat here and said we knew exactly what any team was going to get out of the draft, but it always does bring renewed excitement because you never truly know. I mean, you look at Giannis, Giannis wasn't a top three pick, and he's, if not the best player in the NBA, he's one of the best and helped bring an NBA championship to Milwaukee. I'm not saying that Wendell Moore Jr. or Walker Kessler are going to be those guys, but what I am saying is you never know one thing we do know, Tim, this Minnesota Twins bullpen is making life awfully hard on Rocco Baldelli, making life awfully hard on Minnesota Twins fans. This Twins team, Tim, and I don't want to be too doom and gloom because we're approaching July and they're in first place. They could be leading this division by so many more games than they currently are if they could just get outs late in games, and they really can't. Yohan Duran, he's the only one that can. Everybody else, yuck. Pagan refuses to throw strikes. When he does throw strikes lately, they get hit all over the park. Joe Smith, who was great in April and May, he's now injured on the IL. Duffy has yet to look anything like they thought he would. And Caleb Thielbar is just a legit slop thrower at this point. He either gets hammered or his slop is so sloppy that they can't hit it. There's there's just so much wrong with this bullpen, and everybody says, well, they need to go trade for two arms. Yeah, I think they do, but easier said than done. And even if you get two arms, that doesn't stop all these other guys from getting into games. So that, to me, is the biggest issue with the Minnesota Twins as we currently sit here today, record date of June 29th, 2022. Yeah, you know, we could talk about, you know, other aspects of this team. I mean, I thought that when they got Correa, I'm like, great, this is perfect. By all-star break, we'll trade him and we'll pick up some, you know, starting pitching down the road. Um, 
Now we lose Not happening, buddy. Back. He's here all year. I think you're right. And I think that um, I think that now we're losing our pitching coach at a time when the starting pitching really seems to be blossoming. It's just so crazy, Minnesota sports. Why can't we have nice things? I just just don't get it. But uh, I'm a big Joe Ryan fan. Sonny Gray appears to be you know getting better. Devin Smelter, I mean, is twice the size he was a couple of years ago, and he just got over the cancer. Uh, Winder looked good last night. Bundy's been pitching well of late. Archer, who I just was a month ago, like, what are we even doing? You know, is now up to five innings and pitching better. And Kenta Maeda is traveling with the team and working out and is going to be back either in the bullpen, which I think is where he'll probably end up, or one of these other guys will. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be back with the team at some point in the second half of the season. So while I agree with you, um, you know, Pagan has really gone south for us, and, and I'm hoping this is something that can be corrected, hoping. Dilbar and Duffy. But, man, looking even at Jarrell Cotton and, and Giovanni Moran, they just don't look like they're major league ready. They just look like just by their whole way they handle themselves. I'm like, did they spend any time down in the minors at all? Um, Alcala's, you know, uh, on the DL or the IL now. McGill is on the IL. Smith is on the IL. Yeah, it's not a good situation. There's there's just no two ways to, to get around it. And if this team doesn't go out there and score six to ten runs, um, you know, that that's it's never over. Tim, do you remember a time in all your years of covering sports? Again, Tim McNiff. Uh, I'll say Carol Levin fame. That's where those Emmy Awards came from. Do you remember a time in any sport where a coach left maybe with similar timing? Not not uh, of their own volition. I mean, I mean, I yeah, leaving on their own versus being relieved of their duties. Right. I mean, the most painful one was Lou Holtz. You know, you just saw that the Gopher football program was finally headed somewhere. And all of a sudden, no, I remember I said I was always going to stay. Uh, I meant except uh, unless Notre Dame called, you know, and I'm like, oh, come on, you know. And so that that one hurt. This isn't quite to that level. Um, but the fact that he's leaving in the middle of the season and they're letting it. I mean, I don't know if they could have held them or like that, but I mean, this this is a little bit too kumbaya because they were obviously flat footed on this whole deal. The fact that uh, they were had no announcement prepared, the fact that uh, they, they, they were approached by players before an official announcement had been made because somebody in the college baseball world broke the story that he'd taken the job, he didn't handle this right or well. And I think they're being very gracious in how they are letting him leave and, and the, the, um, the public face that they're putting on this. But uh, this is not a good situation. And I, I guess I applaud their initial reaction in that they're going to kind of try to stay the course and handle it from within. And I think that's probably the right thing to do just because how do you bring in somebody else at this point with a, maybe a whole different philosophy basically halfway through the season? What if you just let Sonny Gray be the pitching coach every day that he's not <laughs> pitching? You know my love and affinity for Sonny Gray. I just, Sonny Gray is, again, is he a true number one? No. Is he a pretty dang good number two that I actually could envision going into Yankee Stadium and winning a game? Yes, he is. That's how much I love Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray blinders right here. I'm kind of that way about Joe Ryan. And I saw him struggle his last time out, but uh, I, I really, really like him. He was a great uh, addition last year. I mean, we had a lot of choices from, from Tampa. And, and uh, I remember watching Twitter when we got him. And I think just almost unanimously, every 
person opining on the deal from Tampa said, you got a good one. And that's what we've seen so far. So I think you're right. I think Gray is a strong two. I think that uh, Ryan is a strong two. You know, um, I don't know yet. I, I never would have expected we would have gotten as much from Smelzer as we have. And he looks like he's solid. Winder looked very good on the hill last night. I mean, just from his body structure to the way he, he handled himself. I don't know when I felt this good about a Twins starting pitching staff. So as much as we can malign the uh, the um, the bullpen, I, I'm super optimistic about where they're headed as far as their starting pitching. Well, what continues to make me chuckle is Rocco complaining about not having enough pitchers in Major League Baseball. Recently cut it back and said you could only have 13 pitchers and you know, in a perfect world, I think Rocco would have 20 pitchers, but I always laugh at that and say, well, I get we're trying to protect Chris Archer, but if you'd let him throw more than three innings and 61 pitches, you wouldn't need 15 or 16 pitchers on the roster. But that is neither here nor there. But yes, at least as of right now, I'm eating a little bit of crow on Chris Archer because it seems that maybe the plan, quote unquote, is working but I'd still like to see him give you at least 80 pitches a night. We'll see how that progresses as the summer goes on. It is finally warm out. Some days darn right toasty. That means mobility and movement. You're getting outside in the summer, and so is Beans Coffee Company. Their pop-up shop, it is on the road, offering hot or cold espresso drinks, drip coffee, and so much more. It's great to treat your employees with, special event, even fundraisers. To book that pop-up coffee shop, visit coffeebybeans.com. Don't forget when you're there shopping for some of the best coffee you've ever had, promo code SPORTSCHAT at checkout to save when you order online. It's just another way you can support Minnesota Sports Chat. Beans Coffee Company, they ship anywhere in the U.S., Free shipping on all orders of three bags or more for a taste of something different. You need to try Beans Coffee Company. Coffeebybeans.com. That is coffeebybeans.com. Promo code SPORTSCHAT. Tim, I want to close with this because I found this to be hysterical. You texted me today and said, what are we talking about? And this was before the Kevin Fiala trade. I said, well, let's talk some wolves. Let's talk about the Twins having no bullpen arms. And I actually found this story, this, we'll call it blog, although they took it, they took it from another uh, media outlet that had printed the price of a beer and hot dog at parks throughout Major League Baseball. I, I, you didn't need to scan this, but did you happen to have a chance to scan it? I did. Your thoughts here, just your takeaway scanning. What did you think? My first thought was when they said a beer was four dollars and a hot dog was, uh, you know, four fifty or four dollars. Whatever it is, I said, where do you get a four dollar <laughs> beer at, at at that ballpark? Never ever seen that. So, um, you know, it's it's the the prices are the the prices are exceptional, and I'm the wrong guy to ask because on the end of the baby boomer generation, I am so old. And I remember the drinking age in Wisconsin was 18, which happened to be when I was a senior in high school. <laughs> and so we could go to the Nynar Ranch where you paid $2 at the door and you got a glass mug or boot or something like that that was filled with beer. And uh, originally refills were a nickel. Then they were a dime. And I remember the night of the great protest where we said we would not pay a quarter 
for a refill of beer. And they said, well, you can go back to Minnesota. And we suddenly found our quarters. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we used to buy kegs, eight gallon kegs were less than $15. So for me to buy a single beer, like for $13 or something like that, it's, it's painful. Um, where the hot dog is concerned, if you're eating a hot dog at that ballpark and you're not getting Kramarchuk's, pay the extra because you can't make that Kramarchuk's. Even though you can cook brats and all the rest of it, you can't do that with the onions and the rest of it the way they do it. It'll never be as good. Yeah, my takeaways were, and again, this is called, it's blog.cheapism.com is where I took it from. But they're also citing that they got this information from, I'll say it here, something called the Team Marketing Report. But at Target Field, they're claiming you can get a beer for $5, which is true. They went through and I think they just found the cheapest beer. You can get one for $5, but it's in one section. It's in the, believe it or not, I think like the family-friendly section. But it's a 12-ounce beer, and it's a it's a domestic beer. It's not that good Tim McNiff Guinness. And then I look around. <laughs> you, you got one ballpark selling hot dogs for $2. How crummy of a hot dog is that? If they're selling it for two dollars, it's as good as the four dollar <laughs> hot dog. I'm telling you right now, Ross. There's not a, not a lot of magic to, to making a hot dog. This just goes back to what I I I hate to ruin things for people, even though I feel like I often do. At some point, Tim, I and maybe we'll never get there because because I feel like I've been saying this for a decade. At some point, aren't we going to get to like that tipping point where the average fan is going to say, you know what? I just can't go to Target Field and spend twenty one fifty on a Bud Light. You know, right now, oh. right now it's like twelve, thirteen dollars. But even still, what I'm saying is, at some point down the road, there's going to be that point where the teams can't justify spending or raising prices. Right? That that day has to come. Has to. I mean, it, it just has to. I, I I'm amazed at at the prices of everything. I remember, like, you know, going to that ballpark one time. And and I don't know what we had to do, but we ended up going into the store that's sort of down between home plate and first base uh, on the second level. And the, the, there was more people in the store than were sitting out in the, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the ballpark watching the game and everybody was buying stuff. I mean, again, when I went to games, you know, growing up and everything. Nobody had twins shirts. You had the, the odd twins cap, you know what I mean? But, but the majority did not. Now you go to those games, everybody is wearing something. The same thing at the Wild. Everybody's wearing something that identifies them as a fan of that team. And there's almost like no two are the same. I'm amazed at how much merchandise they sell. And, um, yeah, I, I just uh, – the whole experience to me is, is difficult. I guess, again, when you when you could buy an entire – 16 gallon keg for less than $20. If I'm buying one beer for that, that's not ever going to be an easy sell for this cowboy. And I'm a hypocrite on this because I complain about the prices, yet every time I'm there, I buy an adult pop or two. So I'm contributing to the problem. If I just took a stand and didn't pay those prices, maybe things would change. Tim, I hope you never change. You are just the best. We finally met in person. It was momentous i think the the staff at pub 42 was shocked at how long we hugged and embraced it was maybe a little (laughs) awkward but it was a great time so never change my man uh i'm back at you i I had a great time usually you know if you meet somebody you're like 
No, but I, I honestly can't. Not only can I wait till the next time, I went out there on Father's Day. My wife and daughter got me a uh, a pontoon rental for Father's Day on White Bear Lake. And as I pulled off of uh, the highway in 35E and County Road E, I'm driving down. I'm like, which place is Rossi? You were so close, my man. If you drive by all those dealerships on 61, I'm somewhere in that general vicinity. That is Tim McNiff, Emmy award-winning broadcaster. I know he'll be back really soon because, I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't want to spend time with me? Actually, I begged him to to pinch hit today, but he won't tell you that he's he's too kind to say that. Thank you, Tim. Had a great time, Ross. Thank you, always. That will do it for edition number... What edition number was this? Was it 117, 118? 117 of Minnesota Sports Chat. My thanks to Tim McNiff. Hey, thanks to the Minnesota Wild for giving us some breaking news with Kevin Fiala being traded to the LA Kings. Please make sure you rate and review kindly. Thank you for listening, whether it's in the Minnesota Sports Chat feed or the Score North Taxi Squad feed. I greatly appreciate your time. I'm Ross Brendel. We will talk again real soon.